Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Robert Smith. Robert is a 900 Global staff member and also has seven career PBA titles, including a major, the 2000 U.S. Open. Robert, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jim. How are you doing? Doing well, sir. Well, you're, you're quite the talk of Facebook, so I, I reached out to you and wanted to see about getting you on because you have a unique approach to bowling and trying to combat the higher score. So why don't you tell us what you guys have been doing down there in Santa Barbara and some of the uh, things you're trying to do to help get scores back down where they should be, I guess, in a lot of people's eyes. Okay. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, this kind of started out as kind of a gimmick thing. Um, you know, 20 years ago when I first started getting into the amateur bowling and bowling around the States, um, a couple of the tournaments like the Super Wanky and then there's the Santa Claus tournament in Edmond, Oklahoma, where they would have these heavy pins off to the side or, you know, involved with the tournament itself. And it was quite amazing to see how drastic the carry percentages were from going heavy pins to, you know, normal pins. And um, a lot of what we did 20 years ago was more of a gimmick because back then, you know, the the lane conditions were using a lot less oil. So you would have a plastic, a urethane, and a resin ball, you know, 92, 93, 94. And the scoring pace wasn't so high, but the lead pins were kind of a gimmick. They were, you know, skins, this and that. So I decided I was going to make a batch of heavy pins just for people to come down and mess around on, maybe have a couple pot games or, you know, like a little beat-the-board sweeper. And all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me that of all the things that the industry is trying to do as far as controlling the game and and how they're trying to represent the game and controlling scoring pace by using these tougher oil patterns, what I found was that when they went to the oil patterns, 
yeah, the scores lowered down, you know, 30 pins, 50 pins to some people, whatever, but it wasn't across the board. It was basically for the ones that, you know, didn't practice as much or, you know, weren't, you know, executing shots as well. But with the players that knew how to bowl on these patterns, a lot of tour guys, things like that, the scoring pace didn't change for them. So what ended up happening was you could see that when they brought the oil patterns out, there was actually a bigger gap between the groups of players that were playing, your elite, your great, your good players, and so on. And the gap just seemed to get bigger and bigger and bigger as they tried to make the oil patterns tougher and tougher and tougher to combat. And what I found is that when we went to try the first round of heavy pins that I was making, it it made everybody's average across the board, not just the ones that didn't practice, but myself included. It didn't take away from me hitting the pocket, but it took away from my carry percentage, my offense. And so now, you know, for me being a, you know, 235, 240 house league bowler to where all of a sudden I put these heavy pins out and I'm here sitting there having a hard time breaking 195, all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me that this was the way to start getting some of the averages back under control. Um, of course, the first round of pins that we made, we had a few rogue ones that were like five and a quarter pounds, things like that. I mean, just way too ridiculously heavy. And we started breaking a couple of the machine parts on our uh, machine chair, Buena. And so we lowered the weights down, um, started uh, being more, you know, controlling with how much the total weight of the pin was, and accidentally found out that where the weight of the ad- where the added weight was located on the pin actually controlled scoring tempo also. So even though I've got two sets of pins that are exactly weighing the same, one that's got the weight up in the middle of the pin versus ones that weigh on the, on the bottom of the pin, there was a 15-pin difference in those pins alone without having to change the weight, but all we did was change the center of gravity on it. Well, and it kind of turned into what it is now. Couple couple points you hit on there, a lot of stuff there. Um, Number one, didn't the PBA the PBA had the gold pins where they were three pounds ten ounces as opposed to the three pound you know three pounds six ounces? Was that just something that they were trying uh, you know to to borrow a phrase from you as kind of a gimmick and it just never stuck that they didn't stick or, or wasn't the difference? It sounds to me like the difference may not have been noticeable enough that the scores were actually on a more level playing field. Yeah, um, you know when I bowled on them because they they brought them out during when I was bowling out on tour. And most of the time, we noticed, if anything, the carry was a little bit better because it calmed the ball down a little bit. So it actually kept the pins a little bit more on the deck. But the thing was still that the ball was the bowling balls are so strong angle-wise coming into the pocket that it really didn't – none of us really noticed a difference in average. None of us noticed a difference in scoring pace whatsoever. And so what ended up happening, I think, is when people bowled on the gold pins versus regular pins – I don't know if they saw it, you know, an average control for everybody or not. But, um, yeah, what ended up being with those goals, I think, just ended up being a gimmick. They didn't really pursue it much further than that. Okay, well, let's hit on, on what you're doing and what you're trying to do. Um, as, you, as, as we all know, you have a, a lot of revs. Um, how does it affect the different players, maybe more of a stroker-type player, these heavier pins? I'm guessing it's going to be an even bigger challenge for them to hit the pocket. Well, it's not a bigger challenge to hit the pocket because, remember, the oil pattern itself allows you the the ability or inability to hit the pocket. But what the heavy pins do compared to the regular pins is it takes away the off hits. And you see them in leagues and things like that. You know, people throw messengers, you know, things like that, where where that hit 
used to be a flat tin for everybody now is almost a messenger for everybody. And, and what's happened is that now the pocket became wider to be able to strike. What I'm trying to generate with these pins is I'm trying to close down the area on the pocket. So that way, if you don't hit the pocket flush or don't get the ball really rolling into the pins properly, you're not going to strike. Now, Yes, the the ones that throw the ball better get the ball into a roll when they go into the pins. High res or not, they seem to bowl better than the ones that have the poorly rolled bowling balls. You know, ones that kind of go down like a hockey puck or roll out. So there's a there's a balance to how to make sure that the ball is entering to the pins properly to actually knock them down a little bit better. Um, yeah, there's an advantage to being a power player because you know it goes with any other sport that you play. You know, if, if if both players are the same accuracy level, but one's more powerful than the other, the one that's more powerful should win. I mean, so, you know, that, that aspect, I mean, it really, I don't know if it's an argument or not, but it it it's part of what the game really should be. It should benefit the ones that are more powerful and accurate at the same time, not just somebody that grabs a ball, gets it to motion upright, and happens to knock them down where somebody else doesn't. Okay, so let's talk about how are proprietors going to handle this because that ultimately, in my opinion, that's kind of the key to this whole thing is proprietors don't want people complaining. And usually what gets the most bowlers, your typical league bowlers, to complain is low scores. Oh, the lanes were, lanes were terrible tonight. I, I shot you know 640 or something. And how are they going to react when they come in and the pins are, <laughs> the pins are heavier now? So what are your thoughts on, prior, you know, on the proprietors in this? And, and is it something that... I mean, where you're working at, it's obviously something that your proprietor is behind there, but is it something where it, all proprietors can get behind this? Yeah, um, you know, that's a good question. Um, I really don't know where all the proprietors sit. I know the two that I've talked to out here, which is Buena Lanes and Zoto's Bowling Center up in uh, Santa Barbara, um, you know, they're behind it 100%. And, and, you know, most of it is because of the fact that they're bowlers. I mean, they understand where the game is, and they understand where the game was. And a lot of the proprietors that did bowl, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they don't, they really regret the scoring pace on how the game is. Um, they don't like it at all. Um, you know, and what happens is to go back to your first question, when you're talking about people that come in and end up bowling on the pins and they realize their scores are lower and they're not going to like it. Well, remember they don't like low scores on a house shot because usually what that means is that the other bowler they're pulling against or somebody else in that league is not falling into that same problem because of the fact that, you know, from pair to pair, one might have a good reaction and another one may not. So, you know, you'll have higher and lower scores. I think what, what people complain about is when they shoot 640, say, in league when they're normally a 220, 230 average player, is that they realize that, you know, one day they can throw it and have all the carry in the world, and then another day they can feel like they're throwing it better, but the carry doesn't, you know, fix itself out. And I think what happens is we almost feel like it's a luck factor on why somebody averages, somebody may shoot 750 versus another guy shooting 650, even though both the players might have thrown the ball as consistent to one another during that three-game set. Um, my goal with the pins is simply to be able to try to control scoring and handicapping in our game. That's it. So that way, if I can come in and say, all right, guys, I've got these pins that are rated at 
being 15 pins lower in average from what your standard pins are, well, everybody's going to walk in knowing that everyone across the board is going to be, on average, 15 pins lower. And I think we've tried to handicap houses from one to the other and so on and so forth, But and you've seen how the handicap works. You know, one house might be wood, beat up, 30 years old, never resurfaced, whatever, and this one gentleman comes out averaging 200 there. And then you go over to another house that's nice, walled, easy as can be, whatever, and you got another gentleman that averages exact, exactly the same at 200 also. The problem comes in, how do you say this person bowling at Bowling Center X out of 200 is the same caliber bowler as this, bowl, as this person bowling at Bowling Center Y with the same average? Well, and to your point there, I mean, I, I harken back to when I was bowling league and we were bowling on a non-sanctioned sports shot, and I, my average was 15 pins lower, which is about what it usually is in most cases on uh, the Kegel-type patterns. And so we go to city tournament, and I told the the people you know running it, the directors, I said, look, this is on a, you know, not a sanctioned sports shot, but on a sport shot, on a sport compliant shot. And they said, doesn't matter. And I said, are you sure it doesn't matter? And if I didn't go out and bowl well on the normal house pattern and end up, you know, taking like fourth all events in, in the National Capital, you know, Association, you know, events and everything because of my, you know, and I, I bowled well scratched no matter what, but the handicap, you know, when you're getting, ha- you know, you're getting, you know, 15 or 20 free pins a game. I mean, I can see where people get frustrated at, what you're saying and there's not really level playing field or or you grew up bowling at an eight lane wood center where they oil the lanes every thursday and strip them once a week as opposed to a nice center where they strip them every day and and the scores are just going to be consistently higher um let's talk about the ball companies because a lot of you know like you were mentioning earlier back in the day you know you the you didn't have as many ball choices. The balls weren't as stronger. Now it seems like companies just can't get over each other fast enough to to make that next piece that hooks hooks off your feet. So talk about what are they? What would they do, or is there anything they could do to combat the heavier pins? Well, I mean, it, the the idea behind having the heavier pins is hopefully that USBC will mandate and keep their regulations as they are. I mean, I mean, let's be honest, bowling balls aren't going to go anywhere, not for a while. And, you know, so with that, we have to be able to play within what is in the game now. You know, I've had people, you know, on Facebook or whatever say, well, you know what, then the USBC will come out and let people throw 18-pound bowling balls or the ball companies will make them stronger or more or, you know, whatever. But the idea is that if I make the pins to combat scoring averages, so that way it stays compliant with the rules set for the equipment now. If for some reason, say, the pins come out, they like them, whatever, and then ball companies start switching up bowling balls again to combat these pins, then pretty much what I've done for trying to control the game is pretty much all for naught. Because then what happens is we have no regulations on the game whatsoever to control the scoring pace. If we allow the companies to dictate how the length the game is played, they're always going to try to go bigger and badder and so on. All right, this well, kind of comes into what we talked about a little bit before where, you know, when we're, we were talking before we started the show about, you know, who who's at fault with this? Is it the ball companies? Is it USBC? Is it the bowling proprietors? You know, it's a little bit of everyone. Um Brian Voss mentioned in an interview that he did in Japan a couple weeks ago, and he said it was the bowling proprietors because the bowling proprietors are the ones that actually own the playing fields. They're the ones that could have sat there and said, nope, we're not going to allow these bowling balls on our, on our lane conditions, on our lanes because they're going to tear things up, they're going to do this and that and so on. 
And what ended up happening is the ball, bowling proprietors back in 92, 93, when these bowling balls came out, they saw a big spike interest in the game because everybody was scoring higher. So they just went along and said, yeah, this is great. Let's go do it. Well, 20 years later now, as we've seen, you know, it's actually hurt us in the long haul because it just created a huge gap between the great and good players. And now we're at a point where, you know, we, we don't know where to go. And over the last 45 years, the only thing that hasn't changed in the game is the bowling pins. A couple of good points. I want to hit on the bowling ball as as we finish up our conversation here. We talk about the 16 versus 15-pound bowling ball. Um, and give me your thoughts on that because there's still seemingly some conflicting report that the you know because the core is an S, is the same on the 15 versus 16. Unless correct me if I'm wrong there, but that a 16 and a 15 pound ball should hit hit the same, and you don't really start noticing the difference until you get into the 14s, 13s, 12s, etc. Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, that's a good question with the bowling balls. Yeah, right now with the way the pins are and with the way the lane surfaces and oil patterns are. You know, most of the guys on tour, myself included, when we were bowling, we were throwing 15 because the bowling balls were so darn strong that a 16-pound ball wouldn't necessarily enter the pins the right way on off hits or whatever like that. So, yeah, dropping in weight over the last 10, 12, 15 years has actually been an attribute to the game because of the fact that the bowling balls are so strong in relationship to what the pins are. Now, what I, I mean, I'm even using a 14-pound uh, you know, entry-level bowling ball on my leagues, and I'm averaging 237, and I'm throwing a 14 now. So, you know, the weights, 14, 15, and 16, based upon how the lanes and the pins are right now, there's really not a whole lot of difference going on with them. Put in my pins, and all of a sudden, yes, there's a difference. The 16-pounder definitely went through the pins better than the 15, and the 15 really went better through the pins as a 14. People will say, well, that's not fair. You know what? You shouldn't have to be able to get penalized because you throw a lesser weight, so on and so forth. My answer to them is the pins aren't for everybody. My idea for the pins is for competitive level players, more high-end players, so that way it's easier to represent to the general public what the top-notch bowlers are bowling on versus your regular everyday bowlers that bowl at their houses. Joining us for a quick update on what's happening over at Bowling This Month is Bowling This Month owner, Bill Semsrat. Hi, Tim. So I've got three new Bowling This Month articles I'd like to quickly highlight this week. So first up, we've got an article from Rob Motner with a summary of some of the different ways that the ball manufacturers classify their products on their website. So you know, this is a, a really useful article for people who are trying to, to, to get a better grasp of what kind of balls are available and how they how those balls are related and, and grouped by the various manufacturers. Next up, I've got an article from a new BTM contributor named John York. John's a collegiate coach and a USBC Silver Certified coach, and his first article is on how to make sure your mental game is keeping up with your physical game as you advance and, and progress as a bowler. And finally, we've got part two of Tyrell Rose's article series on performance analysis for bowlers where he explains the differences between bowlers who underachieve and bowlers who underperform. Uh, and then he, he discusses some specific improvement approaches for these two types of bowlers. Uh, so for these articles and many more on a, on a wide variety of bowling topics, please check out bowlingthismonth.com. Back to you, Tim. Excellent. And I guess as long as we're talking about scoring, I'm sure you had to be following along with, uh, with everyone bowling the USBC Open Championships in Reno when the team just went out there and obliterated that scoring pace. And I mean, you know, just uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something maybe where this could be if 
through the trial that we do that this could be used on on a on a bigger platform like that. I know then you could you know then the argument is well the people that got their eagle back in 2010 didn't have to bowl with those heavier pins or is this maybe a separate division that we set up and we say look this is open and it's for everyone if you want to bowl on the challenge you can but what are your thoughts I mean because this is supposed to be you know the pinnacle tournament for amateur bowlers you know and pro- professionals I guess however you want to look at it um, yeah, yeah, exactly. but is that uh, which is a whole nother conversation in question probably <laughs> but um, just what are your thoughts on you know the scoring paces at the, at the USBC Open Championships and is this something that maybe we could get implemented sometime down the road in, into that tournament. Well, I mean, you saw it. I mean, you know, what happened is you go to the USBC tournament this year, and, you know, like you said, one of the teams just lights them up. What, they shoot 37-something, 38-something? I mean, it was something astronomical. I know that. Um, but, you know, what, you know, it, it comes down to the point is this. You bowl this USBC national tournament, the, the Open Championship, and they put out a pattern, and, you know, for – the most part, I got a new message coming in. Sorry about that. Um, for the most part, what you have is a, a, the gap in players again. The ones that know how to manipulate the oil patterns are good enough to throw the oil patterns and change them to the right way. You know, they're going to figure it out and they're going to strike a lot because of the fact that, yes, the pins haven't changed, so the carry percentage stays high. And then what happens is you get a gap between guys that know how to bowl and the guys that don't. And you saw these huge number gaps from top to, say, like the caching number for team event. And that's what I'm trying to eliminate. That's a big problem with the game because now what happens is that you try to bring in these other teams for years on down the road who want to go in and bowl, and they know, and they look, and they sit there and go, well, my team's good enough to shoot 3150, but I'm sitting here 500 pins back on totals to win team event. How do I feel like I have a chance? And and most of those teams that show up in there don't, um, you know. So, you know, what are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to achieve competition, or are we trying to just you know showcase that a few elite group of people are just way better than everybody else, and you know these guys are going to take the money, and everybody else doesn't have a chance. Yeah, the uh, um, leading score was thirty-seven twenty, by the way, by the guys from. Yeah, uh, yeah, I knew it was a bunch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was an absolute bunch. And, you know, and, and that, that, that's not right. I mean, you're talking about a group that actually almost averaged, you know, 250 on what is supposed to be a tough pattern, a lower-scoring pattern, yet they walked out there as a, group in, as, as, a, as a group, and they all averaged higher than their probably book averages when they walked in. And so, you know, there's a big problem with that, especially being able to have the ability to manipulate the lane play and so on by how you bowl instead of being able to go out and bowl and have to deal with what is out there and it doesn't change very much. Well, and a lot of that is the bowling balls themselves. Well, and I bet, you know, and Jeff Riggles has blogged about this on, on his blog as well, that a lot of a lot of house teams, like you couldn't, you couldn't put five guys together, go on a house pattern, and you'd struggle to shoot 37-20 just because of the fact, and frankly, a lot of times I think the house patterns break down trickier than this pattern. Like you said, if you carve out the pattern and know how to play it properly, you can make it easier than a house pattern. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and most of the time I've found that when the patterns open up, I've got more room on patterns than I do in a house shot because the house shot is so – but the shot's easy given out to you, and then once the lanes break down, the change that happens between the start and, say, like game two or three 
is drastic. I mean, sometimes in league night, I might move a whole board or two in a whole night. And there's other times where I've, I've moved four or five dots. And it's like, well, this, you know, and like you said, you know, sometimes the lead shot ends up being harder than the pattern shot over time. And it's simply because of the fact that the bowling balls tear up a lane differently. You got players that tear up a dif- lane differently and it's hard to keep a uniform set from one lane to the other going across the house when scoring pace is almost expected to be determined by who and what bowls on each lane. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be that the oil sits on the lane and that pattern stays fairly consistent all the way across the house. Not just, you know, I got a good break because I crossed with somebody that throws it better than somebody else and therefore they created a bigger bounce spot or a better bounce spot for me to bowl on. Oh yeah, and one final question. When you're doing your testing, it was just on house patterns when you were when you're going with the heavier pins, correct? You weren't trying this on any of the, the PBA or sports sanctioned certified shots. These were just house patterns, correct? No, 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 no. Actually, I ran a little four-gamer on my four-and-a-half-pound high CG pins on Turnpike. And what happened was it even made the gap bigger from the players that knew how to bowl versus the other guys. Example, I bowled in the four-gamer with the other guys that bowled with. I shoot 9-12 for four on the heavy pins, had one open during the whole set. The next closest guy to me was 7-30. And the guy that was set, shot 7-30 actually out-averages me on the house shot by four pins a game. <laughs> wow. So Yeah, so what happened is the pattern, the pattern even exaggerated, you know, mid-hits, bad ball rolls, even worse than, you know, just the pins themselves did. So, you know, yeah, I think the oil patterns are fine and dandy for an elite group, but when you're talking about the majority of bowlers in the U.S. and the world, you know, you can change scoring pace easily by just changing the pins heaviness or CGs on them and reading the shots consistent. So that way you can almost start saying, uh, you know, Buena plays, you know, Buena Lanes over here in Ventura plays this way and then you go somewhere else and they play this way too without always having to feel like, you know, these houses have to try to put out a pattern, put out a tough shot, things like that, to try to make it more competitive, which ends up being less competitive. And you've seen it with patterns. You know, the guys that know how to bowl, they always seem to run away with the fields. And the ones that, you know, bowl decent on house shots but don't really bowl outside of that, they struggle. And and it's almost to the point where the, the lane looks like it's trying to embarrass them. And I really, I'm not trying to achieve that. I'm trying to just achieve a more compressed, compacted, you know, playing field where score now would be, you know, between 195 and 215, not between 195 and 240. So that, in your thought, the best bowler, and let's say the league, is is 215, and it kind of is a scale downward now. In case, in, in cases, especially if you're bowling, it could be as high as 240, 245, et cetera, et cetera. Where it takes everyone back, probably, you know, to where they should be. And I've I've heard a, a great line from Chris Warren is I think he says he's 210 on his best day. So, um, you well, know, I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lifetime. I was a career 212 average on tour. Yeah, I was a career 212 average on tour. Now, granted, that's on tough shots and things like that, but that doesn't mean each individual tournament scored out that way. I mean, there were times where I averaged 240, and I think I barely got a check or even missed a cut. And other times you average 200, like at the U.S. Open, and you're doing fine. 
you know, that, that, that's too much of a variance from scoring pace. Way too big of a, of, of a variance in scoring pace. What I'm trying to achieve is I'm trying to get to the point where everybody across the board, I don't care if you're Belmonte, myself, the local 180 average bowler guy, I'm trying to get it to where across the board everybody's average drops down. So that way it's comparable. And then this way also, if I can compress the scoring paces, now it's more competitive again. Now the guy that comes in averaging 195 feels like he has a chance to beat the guy that averages 202. You know, you bring up Jason Belmonte, and I think what we need to do is we need to price out what it would cost to ship a case of those pins down under. And, and let's see if Jason will put them in a machine down there in Australia, and let's have him throw on them, because I think that'd be interesting. Uh, have you guys, have you compared ball revolutions, and where do you where do you guys compare, I guess, just uh, kind of an off-the-wall question, but I would oh, be interested. I mean, Belmo's got me by 100, I think. 100, I, I would... mean, even on my heyday, I think he's got me by 100 RPMs. It's pretty disgusting what he can do to a ball. It I, really is. I'd love to see um, that and see how that works out as well, you know, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You know, I, I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, I used to get ridiculed growing up as a junior for the way I threw the ball, and all I was doing was just changing the way the game was played, and now, you know, you get guys like Belmo, Oscu, and all the, you know, the young Q-handy guys that are coming out. You know, it's a different way to play the game. Me, personally, doesn't bother me. I've always felt that, you know, it's my game versus your game. Let's go play. I don't care what the style is. Others may not agree with it on that level, but that's fine. You know, everybody's got their own opinion. But if I can find a way to keep, you know, you, you, you know, my example is this last year on tour, I think Belmo had the high average on tour this year or that year at 237. I mean, when I moved on tour, nobody averaged over 220 for the year. And now it's 237. And if you watch how the game's played, you know, by the third game on no matter what pattern they put out, everybody's fourth, fifth, sixth arrow, hooking the whole lane. And, and what's happened now is the lane is lopsided. The gameplay is lopsided. Um, I mean, God forbid, I would not want to be a left-hander bowling on tour right now. No, thank you. I feel sorry for the left-handers because they have no chance. And I kind of feel sorry for the straight players because they don't have a chance either because the bowling balls burn up the oil so fast that, you know, straight bowlers are always going to be starting out in the burn, and then they just can't get the ball to push down the lane to even hit remotely right. Um, but, yeah, with the way the game is now, I mean, it, I, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. It's not much fun to watch everybody. If they hit the 1-3, they automatically strike. And then if they don't hit the pocket, they leave a sixth count, which is like, okay, what's going on here? It's either strike, you know, it's feast or famine every shot. There's no in-between. There's no spare shooting. There's no, you know, who's the guy that hits the pocket all the time and kind of, you know, keeps in play, makes his spares, things like that. That part of the game is just out. It's not even relevant anymore. Well, and um, I guess let's just clarify here for one thing back on the pins. What we're not talking about, and I've had conversations with uh, Rick Benoit on this, what we're talking about, you're not talking about wholesale changes where every time you walk into a bowling center, these are the, the new norm, quote-unquote, of pins. No, this no, is, no, this no, is just no, for no, people that want to. I'm trying to treat it like a tee box on a golf course. That's all it is. I mean, it's a tee box on a golf course. Here's your pattern. Here's the playing field that you get on this course, on these lanes. All right? If you want to play standard pins, okay, well, this is your scoring pace. If you want to play heavy pins, then this is the scoring pace. And, and that's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to figure out a better way to not only keep the scoring pace down, but a better way to handicap the game. Awesome stuff. Robert Smith, uh, it's been way too long now. I've been doing these shows for over, you know, over four years. It's the first time we've, we've crossed paths a couple different, uh, different uh, 
expos and bowl expo and the like, and I've seen you and such, but it's finally a pleasure to, to chat with you and uh, just great conversation. We're going to have to do it again. And, and folks, go to above180.com. I'm going to link on our Facebook page, which is taking your bowling into that next level. I'm going to link the videos that Robert's talking about where you can actually see the pins and see how Robert goes through some different pins and does uh, where he has the different CGs in the you know different weight of the pins and how the ball reacts and hits. And you'll be surprised when you see just some of the some of the leaves of uh, of uh, it was your the proprietor who was actually bowling and just some of the leaves that are you know the the four five tens and some of the crazy stuff like yeah, that four five sevens and all that nonsense yeah it was quite funny but if you remember forty years ago that was a normal hit oh no a five seven or a five seven was actually quite a normal hit <laughs> nobody complained about it back then <laughs> that's for sure exactly but well, Jim uh, I Jim I appreciate it I mean uh, thanks for calling me up thanks for getting me on the show yeah it's been four years or so and i haven't been on yet so uh yeah hopefully uh something comes around we get to do this again and a quick final note want to remind everyone please check out bowlinghighlightreels.com it's a great website that i started hoping to get some folks some high school bowlers i know as many of you know myself coach k steve klempkin do a storm collegiate spotlight every week where we highlight and speak with collegiate coaches players and people that make the collegiate world go round through that website, what I've actually formed is a, a another way for bowling for high school bowlers to get their name out there. Again, bowlinghighlightreels.com is where you can find out more information on that. If you have any questions, by all means, shoot me an email, Tim at above180.com, and we'll get you to the right person. But we'd love to help some high school bowlers get into the college that they're really hoping for and help them get a college scholarship. So thank you for that. And Robert, thank you for joining me today. Uh, All the best of luck with everything, and we'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thanks, Jim.